You're listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions. Attorney Bill Powers sits down with some of today's leading legal minds to discuss everything from legal issues and legislation to practice tips and policy. Now, here's your host, an NBTA board-certified criminal law specialist, former president of the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and renowned trial lawyer, Bill Powers. Welcome back to another episode of Law Talk with Attorney Bill Powers. I am Robert Ingalls, and I will be your guest host for this episode. I am sitting here with Bill Powers, and we're going to be talking about misdemeanor drug offenses today. How are you, Bill? I'm well. All right. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me involved again. I love this. I know you've been doing criminal defense for a number of years. How long have you been dealing with misdemeanor drug offenses? Uh, you mean as an attorney? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been practicing since 1992, so I guess it's relative to when someone's listening to this. But, sure. Uh, so it's right now it's 2017, about the end of the year. So uh, it's a good 20, minute. Yeah, yeah. Couple, good minute. Couple decades. Dating yourself a little bit mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. All right. So one of the questions that that, that I know is in in my mind, not not that this is something I deal with, but what do you do in that moment? You know, the, you have been pulled over sure. and, you know, they've found something perhaps in your car or they've come to your house or they've searched your person. Now you are either holding a citation or you have found yourself in an orange jumpsuit. Right. What do you do? Stop talking. Uh, the first thing you do is stop talking. In fact, the thing before you stop talking is stop talking. Um, I, I wish people would... Um, exercise their their fifth amendment right to remain silent it's like the saying i had the right to remain silent but not the ability um uh and i borrowed that 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 term but uh i think the best thing is to when you when you're in dutch when you're when you're in some trouble is to stop talking stop if you've got a citation if you've been arrested it's time to realize that talking thus far has not helped you uh, in any way most likely I guess it's possible. I'm thinking some situation, but generally speaking, uh, you don't want to be talking about what took place further with the police officer while you're riding down to the jail, or if you're in the jail, you don't want to be talking to your, you know, your new best friend, the Selly, about what happened. Um, you don't want to be talking on the phone or the video chats that they have now with our jails because uh, those are oftentimes recorded. Uh, the person you want to speak to and talk to is an attorney because we have something called attorney client privilege. It actually should be called client attorney privilege because it's your privilege and the attorney enforces it or protects it. But the things you tell me as your lawyer, I keep confidential. I don't talk about it. I don't discuss it. And then by, by affording that privilege under the law, uh, the, the idea behind it is that lawyers can provide sound advice or counsel to the best way for you to proceed. Um, and so there, there's a reason they call us attorneys and counselors at law. We counsel you. And so the only person really you should be talking to about your case is your lawyer. Uh, and, and, and that's the, the, something I found over years is I wish so many times people had just stopped talking and would have made their, their lives and my job easier. Gotcha. So it sounds like perhaps the first thing you should do after you stop talking is call an attorney. Sure. And that's assuming you're not still in the who's cow. And that's uh, assuming you're out of jail. Uh, I would say half our cases, especially the more serious cases, a family member's calling. 
Uh, we tell a family the same thing. Don't talk about the case. If you go into the jail, don't talk to them about the facts of the case. Do not discuss the facts of the case on on a telephone or a video uh, conference channel. Don't talk about the case. So is that stuff that, you know, when it gets to court, if they had talked about it, that could be used in that oh, moment? Sure. Yeah, I've seen it. They roll the cart out and it's it had a trial. I don't even know they made boom boxes anymore, but they've rolled out a boom box and, and played the tape and, or the, or I'm using, I'm showing my age. They, they played the uh, DVD or the, or the CD. Uh, yeah. And I've, I've had cases where they've introduced the letters that people have written back and forth to one another. Um, you know, there, you don't really have a lot of rights to privacy in so, a jail. So. so when the inmate writes a letter out, it gets read on the way out? I haven't seen that okay. um, as much as I have seen incoming mail. Now, having said that, I, as soon as I said that, I, I did have a case where it was an outgoing letter, but it was more of a it's conspiratorial prob- type of uh, thing. And I, they may have in that instance gotten a warrant. But uh, don't just assume that uh, because you put an envelope that uh, it, it, some United States Postal Service reg protects you. I'd Err on the side of caution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't don't put things down in, in writing that you don't want to be read later in a court of law. Perfect. <laughs> I couldn't say it better. All right, one of the most common ones that I hear about is small charges. And, and people seem to almost feel like because it's not against the law in other places, mm-hmm. maybe it's not that big of a deal here anymore. Something like, you know, having marijuana or having a pipe on you. What what does that set you up for? Is that something that you need to take seriously? Absolutely. And I always try to preface my comments by saying that we offer advice, not judgmental, you know, uh, uh, kind of getting on people. Uh, we're not trying to be judgmental at all. And this is this is me giving information on the state of the law in North Carolina as it is, as not as opposed to what I think it should be or what it may be in other states. Okay, so I tell people I'm not telling you what I think the law is or that it should be is fair. It's just I'm telling you what the law is, and. Unfortunately, I don't think people take these charges serious, uh, seriously enough for a host of different reasons. But even if you're not looking at jail and, and many misdemeanors, the likelihood of you getting jail is slim, if, if not impossible in some instances. Um, but there are consequences other than court. Now, you mentioned, you know, very common type of citation we see, you know, you've got someone's got some weed on them and then in order to introduce the weed into yourself, they've got something we refer to as paraphernalia. And I always forget how to spell that, but it's got a lot of uh, uh, vowels in it. Uh, But basically, we're talking about rolling papers, pipes, bong, uh, the baggies, scales, grinders, I'll show my age, Apple. Uh, <laughs> um, the paraphernalia, believe it or not, is, is, is a more serious charge than the weed itself with an with a asterisk or I call a caveat on the side. Depends on how much marijuana you have or weed you have. And there's exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, we're ta- you and I are talking about a simple weed case and you, you, you've been issued a citation for weed and paraphernalia. Paraphernalia is a class one misdemeanor. It carries 120 days max in jail uh weed is 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 a class six level um or category six level drug it's low it's low as it gets really so if you're carrying around a a little bit of weed in your pocket you're not going to be in that much trouble but if you put that weed into a pipe and and you know 
put something on, you know, and then light it. Now you're in quite a bit more trouble. Right. And, and, you know, I've actually seen it like, unless you're carrying your weed around your pocket and outside a baggie, which I don't know many people that do normally they put it in a, you know, sometimes you see some creative things, you know, a, a shaving cream can or the, the container itself, the modality of transporting your weed, uh, is can be deemed paraphernalia and yeah that's actually I'm, I, and I've, I've never really understood that but the the method of introducing it or storing it or holding it or keeping it is more serious of a criminal offense than the drug itself so is the public policy that you should carry weed around in your pocket <laughs> <laughs> i guess if you don't mind lint but um <laughs> uh it, it's a practical matter it, i it's very rare not to see a weed case with uh, without some other accompanying paraphernalia, I guess it's possible. Um, you know, the interesting question is, you know, if you roll in a joint and is, is that joint suddenly become the, the marijuana as part and parcel, you know, uh, as opposed to, you know, the paper itself, is that, is that the paraphernalia? I mean, technically so, under statute probably is. But. So you say that's an interesting question in, in practice when this comes up, how does the judge deal with that? In practice, it it never comes up, and I can't. We occasionally get paraphernalia cases where there's not weed. Um, officer pulls up. You know, I'll use a car stop, and they smell you know, the odor of burnt marijuana, and they find a pipe or they find um, a bong or something, and there's no weed left in it. Maybe it's some uh, residue or something, and we're dealing with that solely. But most of the cases we see is someone's got you know, bag of something or, um, and then they're charged with the, the primary charge of the marijuana. Uh, what's interesting, North Carolina is I really haven't seen a whole lot of, I, I thought once it became legal in, you know, out West, basically California, Colorado, Washington, I thought I'd see a lot of edibles in North Carolina and I haven't, um, I haven't seen a ton of edible charges. So I haven't seen any paraphernalia really charges with edibles um, that I can think of. We tend to see a, uh, uh, maybe a grinder. Uh, we tend to see more pipes. I don't see bongs anymore. I guess they've fallen out of you know favor. Uh, we see uh, rolling papers, pipes, uh, and then a baggie of, of some weed. So, but it sounds like maybe uh, you know mixers and spoons and baking pans are coming next. Oh, you mean for brownies <laughs> and things like that? I guess. I, I guess. I mean, in making the oils and whatever. But that starts to. And we start talking more production, manufacturing, and, you know, that if you're going to get a grade for the course, that's going to be an F, and F stands for felony. Uh, that's more serious. Gotcha. Um, so we're, we're talking about just basic. You're at the pavilion. You're, you've got, you're smoking some weed. Someone sees you and grabs you, and they grab the remnant, the, the roach, whatever. Uh, and, and next thing you know, you've got a citation and you're kicked out of the concert. Gotcha. Um, so one, you know, to go back to what I said earlier, where people as the kind of national view on it seems to be shifting, mm -hmm. the people seem to feel like it's not quite as big of a deal. What are kind of the long-term ramifications? Mm -hmm. Like if you are at that concert and, you know, you get caught with it, you get kicked out. Now you're dealing with a police officer. You've got a charge. What are the long-term ramifications in your life? Yeah, court is the tip of the iceberg, and the consequences are, is are what are what are below the waterline. Um, I 
spend a tremendous amount of time trying to help people get through what's happened to them as a result of the citation. And I, again, this is, I'm not defending this practice, but I, I, there has been a trend now in North Carolina and it's very recent in the last less than a year, I'd say even since the school started this past fall, where the UNC system is aggressively, aggressively uh, pursuing activities outside of what took place on the campus. Um, heck, just this week, I have someone, the, uh, an honor board or a council, whatever they do at the particular school, even though the behavior did not take place at the school, they got a letter and said, you know, we want you to answer questions and we'll talk about kicking you out of school. And I'm not talking about Title IX necessarily. I'm not talking about scholarship athletes, which is a whole nother practice area, which we help people with. I'm talking just some guy out at UNCC was somewhere where two or three people, everyone got citations and and he really didn't know a whole lot about it. And now he's got this honor council thing. Uh, but I and this week as well, it's been the week for these things. Uh, I have a kid that's applying to the different schools where he's going to wants to go to state or Carolina or Appalachian or ECU. And every school has asked for not just some explanation about a pending charge, but they want great detail. And this is before he's even been admitted into the university. It, they, in fact, they at one school has said that they will not forward your application onto the dean's office until this student uh whatever student affairs, student council reviews it. And I may, I'm probably using the nomenclature wrong, but the point of the matter is it, you know, we used to worry as, as criminal practitioners about explaining a bad choice uh, to a school due to a conviction or something. Now we very much have to front end or front load what we're doing and how we're going to address the, this issue. And are we going to be proactive with the schools as kids are applying for them and attending them? Um, so the first is college. Okay. Second are jobs. Um, I, and I don't want to disparage any particular type of job, but I, I, I have had cases where clients have called up and said, I got something when I was 18, I was 19, had a weed case. I just paid it off. And it's not really a, you know, they're not working for the department of defense type of deal. They're want to be a manager at a, a restaurant or a clothing store. And, the company says, ah, sorry, you got a criminal conviction. They're like, are you kidding me? This is for, this was, I was 18 years old. I was 16 years old. There are consequences now with work and it doesn't always have to be, you know, you're driving a truck or you got a school bus full of kids or flying a, you know, 747. It could just be working, you know, at a, at a, just a normal company. And we're seeing much, much more of this. Now it's, it's become exacerbated by the fact you and I were joking earlier about this new thing called computers, but it's been exacerbated by the ubiquity of information in your hand. You know, as we sit here with our, our intelligent devices, there's more information available in the palm of my hand than there's been in the history of the entire world that I can access instantaneously. And these records are public records. And it's very easy for employers to look and see uh, what your involvement has been with the court system. I'll tell you another thing. These kids, it drives me crazy. They don't realize that it's social media. Your, I've had, I've had murder cases before where involved substances and alcohol, drugs, whatever, and they pulled the social media accounts, the 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 things that people are posting voluntarily about themselves and partying and smoking weed and joking about what they're doing, popping 
popping bars and things like that, to use some of the terms. Um, so the, the, this, it truly is the iceberg below the waterline. It's, first of all, it's unseen. It's unknown in scope. It's unpredictable where it's going to particularly hit you. And while it, you may not think, ah, it's no big deal, it, it could have a titanic effect on you. And I use that term intentionally because it can sink your ship for a really in life very quickly. And for a long time, it's, you're not going to resurrect yourself in some instances. Now I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. I mean, we, we, in the hierarchy of cases, I've mentioned a simple little weed all the way up to, you know, second degree murder type of case. And the courts recognize that, but I, it, it is frustrating to me to see the 16, 18, 20 year old kid coming here and going, eh, it's no big deal. It's legal in California. I'm like, hold on Sparky. It's, it can be a big deal. Let's, let's be careful about how we proceed. All right, so someone has picked up that charge and they're sitting in your office. What are what are we doing next? Well, first thing I would say in in response to that question is you may not be sitting in my office in the last few years with with the the, the availability of technology and we really want to make it easy on clients to consult with us to work with us as we do a lot of stuff by video, by secure remote video conferencing which means you can do it on your iPhone, you can do it on Android, you can do it on a computer. We can have multiple people, which is really great in drug offenses, especially more minor ones with kids where maybe mom and dad, maybe they're together, maybe they're not together. Maybe dad lives in Washington State, mom lives in Virginia, and you're in school in North Carolina. We can do multi-party conversations seamlessly, remotely, uh, on schedules that are you know easy for everyone. So the first thing is you may not be sitting in my office. Now, you may be sitting in jail where I go come, come see you. Uh, the second thing... Um, we do is I start asking a lot of questions. Okay. And I, and I, I analyze things in, in a very linear methodology and I use an analogy of uh, Tweetsie Railroad. Okay. If you're from North Carolina, you know what Tweetsie Railroad is, but you have an old fashioned steam engine, you have a coal car, you have a series of box cars and then you have a caboose or a passenger car as the case may be. And the first thing I analyze is the locomotive is what is, powering the case. What kind of case do we have? What am I looking at? Is it a misdemeanor? Is it a felony? Is it multiple misdemeanors or multiple jurisdictions? What's going on? What was the basis of the stop? What was the basis of the encounter with the police officer? Uh, what was the probable cause for the arrest? Then the coal car, I analyzed, that's, you know, you can't have a locomotive without something to fuel the locomotive. We're looking at what are the consequences of, of this offense long-term to you, where are our options? And then we look at car after car after car, and then caboose is the end and release. So I analyze on the front end, why did you come to be charged with this offense? And by the way, if you receive a citation or arrested, you're charged. If you issue a criminal summons, you're still charged. It's a misdemeanor. And then the second thing we look at is how is there a way or is there a way to avoid a conviction? Uh, so I oftentimes, and I, I speak in, in metaphors and similes or whatever, but I, I, it's easier for me to explain things to people, and I think they understand it uh, more. And frankly, that's 90% of my job is explaining a, a sometimes complex and crazy legal system, to be honest with you, to normally sane, logical people and understand. I hope that make them understand that just because of how it works in the real world doesn't mean that it works that way in court. And just because something's not necessarily fair in a big picture we're dealing with court. 
Uh, but I, I always say, you know, we're, we're in the, the, the land of I have been charged and I want to get to the village of how do I not have a conviction on my record? And, you know, it's, you're in, do we go over the top of the mountain? Is there a direct path? Is it more circuitous? What we know where we are, we know where we want to go. The question is how we get there. Now, does that mean we take something to trial? Do we go hardcore and, and argue about the you know legality of the stop or test the the drug itself? Is it actually you know the drug they say it is? And and I think a lot of people you know I call that the Matlock kind of deal. You know that are you going to go all Matlock on this case? And are, sometimes you know we do that. And most times we are able to work some other aspect out. Do we go through a deferral program? Do we go through some treatment? Do we get an assessment? Do we do some community service? Um, and then we kind of map out how we want to handle this. I, I don't like it when I hear people have said, well, I just signed up for the class and, you know, I'm just going to handle it myself, do the DIY. That may not have been the best idea for you. There may have been another option. Before you start taking action, it, make, it makes sense to say, stop, time out. Let's get a snapshot of where we are. And then assess what the most appropriate methodology is or, or the way it is to go forward with the case. So, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be stern about it. And I, and I, I again, I I'm not trying to be judgmental with my client, but I want to sit down, whether it's remotely or in a jail and, and, and start asking some just basic questions. And I, I tell people, I may interrupt you. I'm not trying to be rude, but there may be something I need to know that you don't realize is important. And if you go you know, on and on and on about some extraneous fact, I may cut you off and say, I, that's really not important. Let's focus on big picture items. Um, I think that's important as mm -hmm. well, because, uh, you know, when I was in practice, that was something I saw is someone had done the DIY the first time. Right. And they didn't realize that there had been an other option available to them that we could have used the first time. And we could have used the option they used on time number two. Sure. And then they would have been, you know, they would have gone through two and had no convictions. And instead we were in a position where we may, where we ended up having to go the Matlock route. Right. Because we didn't have that second option available to us. Yeah. I, um, there are some things that you can D DIY. Okay. And, and, you know, I use Amazon and I look around and if I want a t-shirt, I was, I was actually last night looking and, and I, I love these, um, you've heard these flat earth people. I want to get a flat earth t-shirt because I think I just want to be ironic and wear a flat ear. I think the earth is flat. I am aware of uh, t-shirt, but you know, when you're buying a flat earth t-shirt on Amazon and you see it's a hundred percent cotton, you're kind of going with who's, you know, do I get, do I get free delivery and how much is it going to cost me? And do they have my size? And it, it, is it going to take me you know two days to get it? Am I in prime or is it going to take me six weeks to get it? Law isn't that way, or it shouldn't be that way. And one, you don't want to, I guess you could buy a screen printing machine and make your own t-shirt, which is kind of DIY. Um, but uh, you don't always want to go with the, the cheapest option or what you perceive to be the easiest option because it's not always the same. How cases are handled are not fungible goods. Now, it's a law term, meaning that it's just this widget A for price you know, whatever, there's a bit of nuance to it. It's complex. There's a reason why they, you know, it's called a JD, which stands for Juris Doctorate. Um, and I'm not trying to be a smarty pants here, but we go to law school and have to pass this really hard test for a reason because this stuff's complicated and hard. Now, the DIY, uh, I would say, and, and this is completely anecdotal, and this isn't, um, 
uh, based on a statistic. It's based on a statistic I just made up in my head, okay? <laughs> but uh, on an anecdotal basis, I'd say half the cases that I see, I'm like, why did you do that? And that, that was not what I would have done. That's not, there, there may have been another option. Signing up for a class and they're, and, and they're like, oh, I got it dismissed. Well, maybe you got dismissed, but maybe you wrote a statement as part of the dismissal where you've admitted on such and such a date, I did knowingly, intentionally, willfully, and unlawfully possess, blah, blah, blah. And you signed the bottom of that. And now that's somewhere in the ether of your life on the internet that may or may not be able to be. Just waiting for someone to find it when you're running for right, office. Right, right, right. Or applying for a job or, or wanting to get some sort of housing and, um, and, and, I just am, I'm, I'm just, I, again, I, I've said this before and I say it almost on an everyday basis, but I, I really believe it. The saying is don't just stand there, do something in law is the exact opposite. Don't just do something, stand there. Um, don't make the second mistake. All right. And that, and the first mistake is what got you into trouble in the first place. The second mistake is, is trying to resolve it and not really thinking through the process. And I'm not trying to sound like my dad here, you know, but you know, my daddy's put time up and let's, you know, put his hands up in the shape of tea and say time out, blow the whistle. Let's, but when you do a time out and they blow the whistle, that means action stopped. No one's doing anything. No one's dribbling the ball. No one's running back and forth. No one's trying to score any points and it's not counting against you. Okay. There's, you know, the, the clock stops. All right. It's, it's part of the game and not to say the law is a game, but I'm using the, the idea that sometimes saying time out of life's a good thing. It's not just how cases are handled in court, but also what got you here. I mean, as a, and, and I take this role very seriously, and I don't know if law enforcement always realizes this, but we, we modulate what, uh, what client, the messages that clients are sending. And sometimes we, in a very nice way, say, that's, that makes no sense. Um, sometimes people are suffering due to a substance abuse problem. They don't realize it. Or sometimes they, they aren't, you know, things aren't going well in their life and it, and they get a citation and it's an overall it's a, it's a snapshot of what's going on in their overall life. So we, we really try to help people get through these times. Again, it's not meant to be judgmental, but um, I spend a lot of time counseling people and saying, what got you here? You'd be silly if you have uh, any kind of criminal charge uh, to just say, ah, whatever, and not really think about what got you there. And that doesn't mean you're, you know, I'm saying, oh, you know, you're a weed smoker, you're a terrible person. That's not, that's not my point. It's, but what were the nature and circumstances that, police got involved and was it just, was it bad luck or was it something that was a, a matter of time, meaning it was going to happen and, and is something worse going to happen? Right. So I want to go back for mm -hmm. a second and, and talk about the deferral options you were speaking about. Cause I, I think that maybe sometimes the list, the listener might not know exactly what those options are. Mm -hmm. So they pick up a charge. What, what are these deferral options and, and how do they work? Sure. Great question. And the answer is depends on where you're at, where you're sitting meaning where were you charged or where the charge is pending. North Carolina's got a hundred different counties and a bunch of different judicial and prosecutorial districts in those hundred different counties. What is available to you in Charlotte, Mecklenburg may not be the same thing that's available to you in adjoining county. Let's say Cabarrus Concord. Um, that's a great example because uh, it's just, well, he wants practice in the two. I'm not, disparaging my friends in Concord, but it's a different world up there, a substantially different world. And so the larger jurisdictions have more resources. We have more programs available. Heck, in 
Charlotte, I think we got five different driving schools last time I checked for speeding tickets, whereas some jurisdictions driving school really isn't maybe even an option or you have to do something online. So there are some deferral programs that may be available in a larger jurisdiction that may not be available in smaller jurisdictions. So for example, in Charlotte, we've got something called deferred prosecution, but we also have a program, program called deferred light. And we have something called CBI, which is cognitive behavioral intervention. And then we have other jurisdictions where it's like, well, just get an assessment and follow through and, and we'll do a dismissal. And so what works in one jurisdiction or what is available to you in one jurisdiction may not be available in another jurisdiction. And there are some deferral type of programs that are limited to drug type of offenses where you have like a 9096 type of thing, or sometimes you hear of a 15A conditional discharge or, um, and I'm not trying to just throw phraseology out here, but it's, it's really complicated. But I, I, I see people sometimes using a shotgun when a rifle would have done, and you only get one shot with the rifle and, and it's, you should be careful about limiting your options in the future. Sure. Sounds like there's a lot of options and and you should be careful making any decisions without talking to a professional first. Absolutely. Very good. So one of the things I wanted to hit on before we wrapped up is something that I'm starting to see more and more and more is people who had a charge, they got it dismissed and now they're still having trouble getting a job because that charge is on their record. Sure. And what you're referring to is expunctions or expungements uh, and how do you remove something from a permanent record and in, indeed is it a permanent record. This is something that uh, we're seeing more and more and more in North Carolina. Um, this is a culture of courts type of system. We've seen some recent changes uh, within the last year, 18 months, regarding offenses that were tradi- traditionally adult offenses are now going juvenile. and. Uh, it's part of the, the Justice Initiatives program, which I have to compliment you know, the people involved with that. I think it's a great idea to always analyze what we're doing and why we're doing it. Can we do something better? Uh, but expungements, I, I, I tell people when I first open it, the file with them what it is, and then they'll call a year later and say, well, I thought it was expunged automatically. And I, no, that's, an expunction is, is it's almost like filing a lawsuit against the state. Now it's not filing a lawsuit, but it's a, it's more of almost a quasi civil type of proceeding where you have to fill out a special form and the judge assigned to in the district orders the state bureau investigation to do a record check and they send a record check back and it's all certified and looking all nice. And, and then if you're eligible, which the eligibility requirements on these things, it, I actually have a flow chart. I literally have a chart and I, and I go through and it's a series of yes, no questions about whether it, you are eligible and then what are the steps in order to have that happen. Uh, and, and it is extraordinarily complex in an area of law that is rapidly developing. Okay. They, they change these things. They tweak these things. So I, I, I say never assume that it's automatic. I have people say, well, I was convicted of, uh, uh, first degree sex offense in 1983, and I'd like to have my my you know, record expunged. I'm like, well, the likelihood of that is pretty slim. Um, expunctions, generally speaking, understand there are exceptions, are generally speaking, uh, uh, are for more minor offenses, for people who have had a relatively clean record during a limited period of time. Uh, and there are some times where the age of the offender is, is, or the person charged is considered both good and bad, meaning you become eligible after a period of time, but not before a period of time. 
And it's it, it and the type of charges matter. And so we're looking at the you know the the past charge, your past convictions, your past record, North Carolina, other states, and and um, it's a whole nother area of law that, frankly, I'm concerned about because I've, I've seen. And I know people's hearts are in the right place, but these DIY clinics where this is how you do an expunction and um, it's something I'm really, really, really careful about. I, the only way I can describe it to you is if you were an estate planning type of person, you'd want to make sure that you weren't inadvertently triggering some huge tax consequences. So you have a Q-tip trust and you've done something to avoid it. Now the estate's paying. You've got to be real careful with expunctions. Um, well, we give, we give free consultations. We'll tell you whether we think we can help or I just, I get nervous when I know it's an extraordinary, extraordinarily complex area of law fraught with a lot of pitfalls and problems and conditions precedent. And if you mess it up, there's really not a lot I can do to help you. Sure. Um, Yeah. So a follow-up question Mm -hmm. to that, we were kind of talking about when someone was not convicted and they just wanted the fact that they'd ever been charged off their record is there a way if you actually have a conviction to get that off your record? Yes, with a long yeah. Um, in, 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 it, it depends on the type of offense and the age. Those are generally speaking, um, and the permutations and combinations of options are so numerous, it's kind of hard to give a... a I, I, I like giving straight answers, and this is one where I'm just like, it depends. So it um, seems to me like the short answer is, if you have a conviction mm-hmm. and if you have that question, contact an attorney, sure, sure. there may be a way. Right, and, and, and to kind of meet people where they are, it depends on how old you are. Generally speaking, if you're under a certain age and it's a relatively minor offense, you've had no priors, there are some available avenues, but it's limited and it could change. All right, perfect. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Is there any last words on this? Talk to a lawyer. Uh, we're here to help. We're normal people. We're friendly people. Criminal defense lawyers are generally pretty approachable folk. We we enjoy helping people in court. We don't we don't we we help. We don't judge. Meaning we we're, we're not there to to give you a hard time about anything. I've seen just about everything. It's sort of like going into the doctor. Don't worry about the mole on your back. I've seen worse. So. <laughs> and stop talking. <laughs> stop talking. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bill. Thanks a lot. See you next time. All right, brother. Thank you. You've been listening to Law Talk with Bill Powers, your resource for answers to your most pressing legal questions on your time. Ready to discuss your matter now? Call 704-342-HELP for your free and totally confidential consultation. That's 704-342-4357. Law Talk with Bill Powers is an educational resource only. The information presented on this podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Every situation is unique. Therefore, you should always consult with a licensed attorney before making any legal decisions. Thanks for listening.